0: aquaculture begets aquaculture. We find these little hubs or or focus areas for activity. And really that brings about improved development from from all sides. What we continue to see is that as more projects come online in these hub areas that we start to attract more and more attention from feed companies and manufacturers, from equipment manufacturers, that they know where the demand is and they come close to it.
1: Welcome to RAS Talk, the podcast on
0: recirculating
1: aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RAS Tech Magazine, the premier publication for recirculating aquaculture systems professionals. This episode is sponsored by OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Welcome back listeners, or if... This is your first episode you're listening to. Welcome to you, too. My name is Gene Coden, and I'm the editor of Rastech Tech Magazine.
2: Hi, everybody. Justin Henry joining Jean, and I'm here trying to fill Brian Vinci's shoes, <laughs> which is not possible, really. So I'm going to just try and fill <laughs> one of them if I can.
1: Well, today both of us, Justin and I are talking to Megan Sorby, who is the founder and chief executive officer of a new project called Pine Island Redfish. It is a project on a 150 acre property on Pine Island in Florida that hopes to produce about 1200 to 1500 tons of redfish annually. It is going to also have a plant production project raising some red mangrove and some sea parsley. It's going to be an interesting episode for us. I think it was a really fun one. I think what caught a lot of people's attention in this industry about This particular project is that it very much felt like when the project was announced, it was already fully permitted and the design phase was already in the way. It kind of snowballed really quickly, which was such a departure from Megan Sorby's previous project with Kingfish, Maine, that encountered a lot of challenges with the permitting process that really elongated the process. But yeah, what did you think about Megan?
2: Gene, it was a really interesting Uh, session that that we had with Megan she's super knowledgeable and has lots of experience and and education from a a variety of places and that really shows you know when you're having a conversation with her I think she'll add a lot of value you know to any project in which she participates Uh, and it's good to see people like uh, Megan uh, jumping out there and and trying to uh, start up something new you know a a species that's a, a niche product.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that. I'm interested what you think about what is the thought process or what are the things that you have to have when you're considering a new species that to me seems like not an obvious species to grow in a wrasse. Um, There's not a lot out there, at least nothing to compare, particularly redfish. So what do you think about that?
2: I think when you're starting up a new species, the first thing you have to do is make sure that the reproductive uh, cycle is closed and that you have availability of eggs or, or juveniles. That takes a long time to develop that. So if you have something that, uh, as Megan uh, discussed, they they uh, are doing in-house, if you already have those eggs and, and juveniles up and running in a, in a broodstock Uh, system, that's, you know, a big check that you can, you know, start to move ahead and and develop a program for that species. The next thing that you would have to look at is the market. You know, does the market uh, know the species? Uh, Do they know something that's similar? You know, how much of that product is in the market? And what's the quality or value of that product in the market?
1: yeah um and i think it's going to be a longer episode than usual we had a lot of ground to cover but i don't think i'm too apologetic about it because you'll find out quickly dear listener that megan knows her stuff so i hope you enjoy the ras talk podcast with megan sorby so in a way this is a welcome back to the podcast megan uh thank you for taking the time to talk with us
0: Thanks so much, Gene. It's really great to be here, as always.
1: So before we get started, I'd like to just indulge our listeners here a little bit um, with a backstory. I first met Megan at Rastech Tech 2022 at Hilton Head, South Carolina, and she was the keynote speaker there. She presented about a new Kingfish Yellowtail RAS project in Maine that she and her husband, Tom, were developing with the Kingfish Company. Um, I was the associate editor at the time, and I interviewed her for the new podcast we were launching at Aquaculture North America about women in North American aquaculture. So it's it's sort of a long story and a long way to say that it's so fun to talk with you again about. A new project.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Jean. It's uh, it's always great to talk to you and you do so much for the industry and for women in the industry and highlighting the different, different projects, different species. So it's always great to be part of whatever you're doing these days. Oh my gosh, thank
1: you so much. So let's get started. What can you tell us about this new project in Florida?
0: We're really excited about it. Pine Island Redfish um, is a, a few years in conceptual planning, Um, And now we are in the real strategic phases of planning, Um, and as usual, what we find is that it goes through the same steps and paces as any other project, but because of our location and the species we're growing, we're finding that pathway, uh, a really straightforward one, and things are coming together quite quickly. Our project um, is sited in its namesake, Pine Island, uh, which is west of Cape Coral, Fort Myers area, the Gulf Coast of Florida. It's a beautiful agricultural area known for um, its citrus groves, most of all, uh, but they also do loads of palm growing as well. Um, And it's home to other aquaculture projects. So being a part of this little agriculture hub um, in the middle of a really ag-friendly state uh, is a really nice place to have landed. Likewise, there's great infrastructure for our species in terms of partnerships with research facilities and universities that uh, have experience with the fish, know what our goals are from a commercial perspective, and um, are really supporting us. So having both of those communities in the background and, and really helping us push this forward is a fantastic, fantastic starting point. The project itself is a land-based RAS farm for Red Drum or Synops oscilatus. It's a well-known fish um, native to our own coastline. And as most people know, was both federally and, and at the state level protected in the early 90s, because we were doing what we tend to do best with fish that we love um, is overfish them. And after that, we pumped loads of investment into understanding the culture process, largely to fulfill restocking needs. Uh, which has been extremely successful. But what that didn't do is put the fish back on our plates. So that's really our goal. And because of the location that we're in and some specific features of our site, we can actually achieve some really interesting development practices with respect to our wastewater and um, implementing some mechanisms that help us Uh, address climate action and uh, making a more circular food system. So all of our wastewater will actually be collected and the nutrient profile will be reutilized entirely to grow red mangrove and uh, a couple of species of salt-tolerant vegetables, uh, so namely sea purslane. Both of those species, while integral to uh, climate resilience for their shoreline stabilizing properties, also allow us to reuse some of those nutrients uh, and put them back into our food system. So it's pretty ambitious, but also a really exciting development in our project, and I think something people are very excited about. Certainly, uh, in some spaces, we feel a lot more excitement about the effluent treatment strategy <laughs> than than about the fish.
1: That's really amazing, and I think part of the reason why. It's so exciting, at least from the outside looking in, is the fact that, you know, it felt like it felt very quick. It felt like when the project was announced, it was already fully permitted and, you know, the design phase was underway. What did that look like behind the scenes?
0: Well, you know, it's all calm and smooth on the surface, Jean, as as you were just uh, saying before, but uh, lots of, of churning going on in the background. As I was saying, we're in a really ag-friendly state. Florida really supports um, its food production systems and the people behind them. So being here and working with the Florida Division of Aquaculture in terms of the permitting process was really straightforward. Questions to us were clear. Guidelines to us about how the systems have to function and how the facility has to be planned were very straightforward. So it made answering those um, and putting together the packet materials about the project, a streamlined process. Um, But that's one of the big differences that we see from state to state is that in those states where there is a dedicated aquaculture agency, you are speaking to regulators that already speak your language. And, And I think that that is so critical to the success of projects getting off the ground uh, in a bigger way going forward is making sure that we aren't just answering to generic agencies that deal with all sorts of different projects, but that there is some representation within the regulatory agencies or within the framework that is specific to our industry. The site was largely permitted because the way we've planned the, the different functionality of, of, our site is based on minimizing those impacts as, as most of these projects address. It's just that Florida's unique geology and specifically how things work on Pine Island uh, allows that process to be even more streamlined. So we have no in-water infrastructure. So our saltwater is drawn up through the ground, much like many of the projects source seawater uh, in Florida. And like I was describing earlier, all our effluent is captured in historical agriculture ponds that the the water itself can be percolated back through the ground, allowing us to capture the nutrient profile and and any solid waste in confined areas um, and find additional uses for that manure. So by having this site that's somewhat closed off, uh, it really streamlined and simplified that permitting process. Likewise, the infrastructure in Florida, when it comes to support agencies uh, such as nonprofit research organizations and universities, is so robust and strong that it was very easy to find good collaborative partners, uh, which we do have. So currently, I'm speaking with you from uh, Moat Aquaculture Park in Sarasota, Florida, where uh, we are housing some broodstock and also doing some small-scale production. And having that having that space and footprint to be able to do our demonstration scale project and have fish in the water and be building all that biological preparation work for the larger facility is a great asset um, and makes the process seem that much faster um, and probably from outside perspectives um, and certainly from ours as well.
2: Megan, what are the key attributes of the site that you have uh, selected here? You did uh, mention about the availability of water uh, from the ground and and about uh, some possibilities for for discharging. What about uh, other attributes such as um, power and access, uh, climate, labor and things like that?
0: So like I was saying, site selection particularly this, for this project, and for most, as, as you well know, Justin, really is about finding that happy marriage between the species that you want to grow, the way your systems function, and how they can fit within that particular site. And really, that's what led us here. As I was saying, Pine Island is an agriculture-centric or focused area, which is integral, I think, to getting not just uh, a friendly or or easier permitting environment, but also from the community and social aspect. Um, We see that the community of Pine Island, A, is very strong and resilient, but have very strong opinions about what type of development they wanna see on their island. And being able to introduce a type of farming that, can fit in well with the goals of the community really goes a long way in terms of of making sure that it's not just a site good for our purposes, but a good uh, pairing with what's going on around us. Likewise, as you said, there are other key attributes besides water. There's access to power, and we, we have that. We have a, a good... Um, contact and relationship with uh, the power company there in Lee County and being able to speak with them about our needs, but also um, about the future and how we can be more efficient and what um, strategies we can implement for renewable sources of energy in the future is great to have somebody with an open ear and a forward-thinking attitude. Equally important to the community aspect is the presence of other aquaculture I think what we'll see in the U.S. and certainly what we see to some degree already is that aquaculture begets aquaculture. We find these little hubs or or focus areas for activity, and really that brings about improved development from from all sides. So it's not just that you have a neighbor that understands what you go through and what your challenges are, but also can work together with you to source better materials or to share shipping supplies or to um, just make sure that the support infrastructure for those supplies makes it to your area. And hopefully what we continue to see is that as more projects come online in these kind of hub areas that we start to attract more and more attention, from feed companies and manufacturers, from equipment manufacturers, that they know where the demand is and they come close to it.
2: Hey, Megan, shifting to the market, how much red drum is currently available uh, both locally and across the U.S.?
0: It's a great question, Justin, and one that's a little bit difficult to answer, just given the current sources for redfish in the domestic market. We haven't had access to wild capture fisheries since the federal and state protections, aside from a small harvest in the Carolinas, which I think right now is somewhere between 200 and 300 metric tons, um, which really isn't a lot, as you well know. There is some outdoor pond culture still going on in the state of Texas. I know those uh, folks were hit hard with the deep freezes experienced in that region in the past few years, but we're starting to see some of that production come online, which is nice. Other than that, what we see largely when redfish does make its way onto the market is that it's largely imported from farms overseas. And really, this is the conversation that all aquaculture producers in the U.S., I think, have been trying to shift Uh, alongside uh, our high value wild capture fisheries, which is to say we need to start to lean in and really develop more our domestic production, particularly coming from aquaculture. And that's really where Pine Island Redfish has set its sights, is making sure that we start to get a reliable year-round production of this species when we used to really have it. It is the story that I think RAS has been trying to tell and in some cases has successfully told to date is that the whole concept of RAS was developed so that we could put fish farms anywhere, so that we could make all seafood domestic or, or locally produced. And that's what we're trying to do is to bring back a fish that we used to be able to source locally and produced domestically um or or fished domestically and making sure that we bring that species home particularly when it when it's native to our shores and when it has such a strong market demand
2: I think it's a really good observation that aquaculture has enabled year-round production of of many species that historically through wild capture are only available seasonally. And some species in aquaculture really out in uh, open or semi-open systems are still not available year-round. And that is uh, an opportunity that RAS provides where if you're controlling uh, the entire uh, environment of the fish... Uh, then you really can have a year-round production. Do you know if any of the current red drum production is in RAS?
0: Not that we've seen. As I said, most of the efforts behind the species and and grow out of the species has either been in outdoor ponds. There is a farm in Mauritius that's uh, doing grow out in offshore cages. And then anything else that we have is largely coming from research facilities for the purposes of restocking. So we really would be, I think, the first uh, complete RAS producer of redfish uh, at a commercial scale, which is, is super exciting. And we know that the species itself shows a lot of promise. Certainly what we know from the small scale production that We're doing, and that has historically been done, that it ticks all the boxes in terms of being fast growing, hardy, um, and highly adaptable. What we hope to continue to improve on are the genetic basis for the domestication of the species. Really, there have been some fantastic gains in new and emergent species as they get into deeper generations of their broodstock. And we expect to see similar gains with redfish in particular. Um, I think recently there was some data that came out uh, regarding hybrid striped bass, which is a very similar species and the, the gains of, of 15 to 20 percent year on year are in the farm generations. Now, hopefully redfish follows that same trajectory, but even a fraction of that is really very impressive. So we hope that uh, as we get further into our broodstock production and the selection process that we see the same.
2: I really like your approach there on the broodstock. And I think along those same lines, I like to run broodstock programs and and think that moving forward in the aquaculture industry, that that's a really big key on developing any species is, is that you really have to focus on the broodstock.
0: Absolutely. One of the big questions we get asked a lot, and I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on it, Justin, as well as, you know, will you do your own processing? And it's always a difficult one because processing fish is a, a business in itself. And certainly from the farm view, you want to have some control over it um, and you're controlling your product and your brand. But there are such great partnerships that can be had um, in the processing sector already that, I think more critical for us, particularly as as working in a a species where we still have lots to learn about it going forward, is is just having a good strategic processing partner, more so than having it specifically in-house, at least right off the bat. And when I say strategic partner, it's somebody that is willing to let you walk in on the processing floor and actually watch fish come across the line so that you can look for things like deformity rates or, or um, visual differences in the fish or specifically, ones that are faster growers versus you know a, a smaller um, the smaller grade of fish that you have coming down the line. So that as you look at them, are they are they developing gonads earlier? Are they morphologically different as they actually cut into that fish? Is the flesh the same? You have so much to learn on the processing line, and I think as long as you have the right partner, especially in those early years, that. It's almost better to let somebody else focus on that that piece of it, the, the cutting and packaging, so that you can keep your eyes on the more critical things that you're learning on that exa- exact same production line.
2: I, I agree that the processing is really a separate business altogether, <clears throat> and you can develop it in conjunction with, with your business. But if there's already uh, good processing available, Uh, that you can partner with uh, it can sometimes make a lot of sense where you still have access you can still see your fish and and get all of those um, quality observations on your fish but you save some in uh, capex and in having to put that whole processing team and processing expertise together
1: absolutely speaking of you know strategic partners i wanted to talk about Um, what you mentioned, you're in Moat right now. So how did you kind of um, start that partnership and how did they help you? And I guess this, would you say
0: it's a pilot stage of having your initial broodstock there? It's a great question. And it's actually um, one that both the current leadership at Moat's Aquaculture Park and I really love to tell, which is, um, it's almost like a homecoming gene. At the very beginning of my years at university, I actually interned at Moat Aquaculture Park. So, as oh, many wow. of us, <laughs> as many of us do in the United States, you do your stint working for free. And I had a fantastic mentor here, uh, who is now the director of the facility, Dr. Nicole Rohde. And I graduated at a time where um, it was not the best climate to go out and find a job, and she insisted that the best program to get finished with my master's and get out into industry as quickly as I could was the university of Sterling. And that's how I ended up over there. And lo and behold, the trajectory and, uh, not only walking away with a master's, but, um, but, a, a spouse in the sector as well. Amazing. <laughs> some of the benefits, but, um, but yeah, it is. It is kind of like a homecoming. Um, so Moat has been Moat Aquaculture Park has been here um, since the early two thousands. They've worked on several species over the years, be it red drum, common snook, yellowtail, um, all sorts of things. They're now doing lots of projects um, with different species of crabs and and also uh, the local mullet. So they are continuing to. Advance the space and um, being here, being able to add to infrastructure and um, and make some space for ourselves and and um, develop our small scale operations and and breeding program is a as I said before is a real asset. I always struggle with the term pilot scale. Um, I like demonstration scale because for us, we know that this species works. We know that um, the technology, the RAS technology that has been developing over recent years uh, works. And really it's just bringing those two successful things together. So for us, it feels proven, um, whereas pilot is maybe still figuring things out. It's not to say that we know everything or that we have all the answers, but we certainly feel like we have a good baseline and, and foothold in uh, what we do know, which is critical to moving quickly and making sure that the the project is overall successful. Octaform's any shape, any size adaptability, coupled with our best-in-class technology, our talented team, and 20-year warranty, gives our
2: customers the optimal solution to execute complicated RAS projects successfully. Flat pack shipped and then formed, filled, and finished in one step, Octoform tanks can provide
0: tremendous schedule and cost savings, including the ability to build multiple tanks in parallel. That's why we're chosen with confidence for the world's largest infrastructure projects.
2: Talking about the scale of the project, what is it? How much uh, fish do you plan to produce?
0: We plan to eventually develop on the site a full capacity of between twelve and 1,500 tonne. Um, which in the scope of some of the salmon projects out there seems quite small. (laughs) But we definitely feel that there is a sweet spot of development, particularly here in the U.S. for the time being, as we're still building the support infrastructure for larger scale RAS projects. And... um, our site has uh, an Im- infinite amount of, I wouldn't say infinite, that's not true. It it has a significant amount of space that should it prove beneficial to go larger on that same site down the road. There's certainly the capacity to do that, which again, goes back to your point, Justin, about forward thinking uh, in site selection. And I think that's where we're starting. We we will um, develop in some phases, but ultimately the goal is is to be sitting in that sweet spot there, where we think, you know, we we have a, a good hold in the regional marketplace, and um and can experience some of the economies and efficiencies that happen with scale.
2: I don't think that that's small, Megan. <laughs> we, we hear a lot of uh, talk about uh, really big systems but in in reality uh, when you look at what is actually being produced out there that uh, 12 to 1500 tons is a, a pretty huge system
0: well I think the big projects are are so interesting right Justin that you have to give credit where credit is due at the scale that they're operating they're learning things about the technology of of Ras that is at a a pace um, much faster than what we learn, you know, at a smaller scale, um, and certainly that's what is being translated around the research sector at this time. Is that critical to successful growth of RAS? Is making sure that as we do more and more R and D around it, that we are mimicking as best as possible. Um, the scale and the conditions that are met in some of these larger facilities. You know, I think sometimes the media can can highlight a lot of negatives about the large scale projects, but it's often forgotten that there is a learning curve that's happening at those larger scales that um, will serve to benefit all of us.
2: Yeah, that's right. I agree with that and really uh, appreciate, you know, those Larger scale companies that are willing and, and able to share all that information to help the whole industry grow.
0: Yeah. And you see, you see the investment side responding to it as well. Despite, you know, some of the setbacks that we have witnessed in recent years, there's continued investment support for large projects, for mid-range projects, for startup projects. So the promise of the sector is still there. And those I think that are invested in the space and educated in the space, they see the long-term trajectory and are, are willing to stomach, maybe less willingly, but uh, they're willing to stomach some of the hiccups with the understanding that when it comes together, it can be done right and done so beautifully and really sustain our seafood supply. Um, So having that long-term vision and those investment partners that see the long-term of what is, is being built, and in many cases being built and operated successfully, it's extremely powerful for the seafood sector overall.
2: Yeah, I agree, Megan. And I think it will continue to grow here as more and more success stories come online. Megan, can we just jump back to the fish for a moment? And you talked about uh, their fast uh, growth. How fast do you anticipate that they will grow uh, in your system? And and what's the size of fish that the market wants?
0: Redfish, I think, like many of the warm water uh, marine species, um, do have a super fast growth curve already. The market In the US is probably one of the most dynamic seafood markets in the world, and we're seeing it change every day. And certainly with the trajectory of other companies, um, you see that they're changing their size specifications at harvest to address those changes, and we will as well. To the question of of growth, as I said, um, we see from historical data and from uh, those growers now that they reach those market sizes in around a year to a year and a half. And, um really, depending on what that end market size is, we we can get there faster. So there's lots, lots to be gained. and And I think ultimately, we see that um, there's lots of potential for improvement as well. Bringing the fish indoors in a controlled environment, uh, of the RAS system will see incremental change and and improvement in the efficiency of the growth
2: when talking about the system technology, Uh, Megan, are you working with a RAS technology provider uh, for your farm?
0: We are. So um, we are working with a system designer, Hesse, out of the Netherlands, who is working with us on early phase design. A lot of our system design is coming from in-house and lessons learned across our time in the sector. Um, so, um, and I think probably Justin, from your experience, you know, that probably 90% of what we know about RAS is we've learned what not to do (laughs) to make things work.
2: Yeah. A lot of those things.
0: So really, I think what we've been trying to do is to incorporate all those, all those learnings under one roof. And bring together those things that we have seen work well um, and eliminate or or mitigate those things that we've really struggled with in the past. And for my partner Tom and I, um, I think all of the steps that we've taken in each of our careers leading up to um, the conceptualization and the development of Pine Island Redfish have added to what uh, our focuses are for the development and making sure that um, we incorporate, as I said, all of those learnings into that. We've worked with lots of different species and, and that was intentional because Ultimately, it's never boring (laughs) and um, and being able to keep it interesting and to keep pushing the boundaries in terms of what we can do with those different species and different systems um, and making that work um, to show that the RAS sector can be versatile uh, and what we can provide to the seafood economy. I think that's the that's the really exciting part behind all of it.
1: Justin, I was curious about your thoughts on the aquaponics side or the plant production side for pine Island redfish as well. Uh, Megan, actually can you give can you remind us a little bit about what that production setup is going to be like? Sure.
0: We don't call it aquaponics in this particular application um, okay. because we're we're not sending water that's been in with the plants back to the fish. What we see the incorporation of the plant growth as, Uh, A wastewater treatment strategy. While we don't have an effluent uh, discharge pipe um, out in the bay or anything, um, we have the capacity on our site to percolate that water through the ground, but still it offers that opportunity to capture and do something else with those nutrients rather than just letting them go to waste and that's really where the plant side comes in. So we like to refer to it as, as an enhancement of the conventional wastewater treatment strategies uh, that are out there and one that allows us uh, potentially to reduce our carbon footprint, to add to the climate resilience of our area, um, and hopefully uh, can be if successful, uh, or I should say, when successful, it, uh, can be a model for others to implement as they look for the right site for their facilities.
1: The reason why I was most interested in this, and Justin, I'm interested in your thoughts on this as well, because you have your own experiences in building, you know, fish product, balancing out fish production with plant production, and sort of what are, how do you navigate or how do you balance both types of production.
2: Yeah, it's a really good uh, question, an interesting uh, concept. If you're producing uh, plants with uh, water from uh, an aquaculture system, uh, I think many might still consider that uh, aquaponics, maybe a little bit less. Uh, so if you're capturing the solid uh, nutrients, uh, but still I think an essential piece for the, for the development of, Uh, the RAS industry, uh, because there's a huge amount of value uh, that's in those nutrients and it's becoming uh, more and more valuable uh, when you look at uh, some of the research that's uh, showing uh, how well those nutrients uh, work with uh, growing different species of plants. Uh, Also, when you look at the price of fertilizers uh, in the terrestrial agriculture uh, market you can see that there is a a really high uh, value there so i i really like what megan's uh, doing there and being able to collect that uh, effluent what you call your effluent treatment strategy there's a really good opportunity there and it'll be interesting to see uh, you know what you end up uh, doing with all of those nutrients
0: Yeah, there's fantastic foundational work um, in it, you know, dating all the way back to um, the beginning of managed wetlands um, about how we can repurpose nutrients. And certainly here within the state of Florida, there's been great research on salt tolerant plants, which, um, you know, informs a lot of what the nutrient processing capability of those plants is. And so a, a lot of that foundational work feeds into what we're. What we're going to be able to achieve, I think, with this site set up and and how the facility will operate. So it's it's fantastic to be able to build on the learnings of others, um, much like the, the fish culture process of this species as well um, and and bring it through to fruition.
1: If I may, I'd like to kind of steer the conversation a little bit back to you, your lovely husband, Tom. Um, I think this is also from my own curiosity, but I'm hoping there are listeners out there that are also curious. Was it difficult for you to leave Kingfish, Maine for this new project? For Because um, knowing you and knowing the project in, that you've been working on with Kingfish, Maine, for a long time, that was your baby, and second to a Second, of course, to your lovely child, but (laughs) that project (laughs) just finished like a long permitting process and the first harvest had just taken place. So, what was that transition like for you?
0: You are absolutely right, Jean. Kingfish Maine um, has been certainly one of the great highlights of my career. And I think that's largely because of the the basis of the project and the team that I was working with, but also the community in which we were situated um, or are situated, I should say. Um, Jonesport, Maine is an extremely special place in terms of the people and their understanding of their environment, but also what they want their community to look like. And being able to go through the experience of, permitting a large project like that in a community with such strong participation in that process um, has been a fantastic experience and one that um, I think will be near and dear for the rest of my life. I can't say enough about that town. (laughs) I I really can't. Um, I love them dearly. And, um, and they truly supported not just the project, but on a personal level myself uh, and my partner, Tom, um, through the, the birth of our first little kiddo. Um, and they fell in love with her as much as I think she fell in love with them um, and still asks for many of the community members by name. Um, so it means that uh, she'll be spending some time there um, as we, as a family, uh, are going back and forth. Um, as you know, Tom still works with Kingfish, Maine. Um, and really, the... The challenge of that project is the fact that the permitting process in Maine is um certainly interesting from the level of, I guess, opportunity for appeal and um for what we would think uh, or what we would deem as frivolous appeal, given the the number of times it's been rejected to date. So, it's not to say that Kingfish is going anywhere. It certainly is not um, there is a dedication to that town and um, to that development project. And I think that's what you see from the Sorby pair, I should say, um is the fact that we want to continue to support that development because, we believe in it. Um, we put our heart and soul into it, and we want to make sure that that happens. And certainly, the Kingfish Company supports us in um, in continuing to do that. So, still in the background and still making sure that everything continues to uh, to move forward with that. And I, while it was hard to leave Jonesport, um, having the conversation with them about the fact that. Uh, we, the aquaculture sector, can't wait years and years between projects. We have to um, have a, a very specific effort to get more uh, production facilities off the ground in in quicker timeframe in order to meet our our seafood goals and and food production goals, domestic food production goals. I think they understood that and um, and were really supportive of what I was coming down to to Florida to do. So, um, to have that vote of confidence from them and to understand the larger vision for for seafood uh, production going forward. it's um it was it was the fuel I needed, and certainly something I think about on a daily basis,
1: yeah, absolutely. It must feel like night and day in terms of the permitting process between the these two projects. But, as you said, you're not too far away from the kingfish community at all because, um, I think it was last year or maybe a few months ago, late last 2023, that you, the company Pine Island Redfish announced that Ohad Maiman, the founder of K- the Kingfish Company, is kind of coming on board to join the team.
0: <laughs> he is. Um, he is uh, our chairman of our board, and we're really excited to have Ohad um, in the mix. He has always been a an advocate and asset for the RAS sector. And um, having him and the experience that he has had within the sector as part of the the brain trust that we have um, in our core investment team is really powerful, I think. Um, Certainly, he offers a perspective that is unique and can continue to push myself um, and my operations team uh, to think about things from multiple vantage points. So bringing him into the mix um, and and him believing in what we're trying to achieve here um, is certainly a, a really great development for us.
2: Hey Megan, you mentioned that there are other aquaculture uh, projects in the Pine Island uh, location, uh, and I. I think uh, that I read that that might include uh, some shrimp uh, production. I'm wondering if there are any other synergies uh, or potential IMTA synergies with uh, shrimp or with other uh, species in the area?
0: I think there's always opportunities for collaboration. While we don't have any planned at the moment with the shrimp production that's on the island, uh, Robin Pearl and American Pinaid, um or Sun Shrimp um, as the brand is, has done fantastic work there um, in terms of breeding and selection program for his farm and others, as well as the grow-out work that they do um, and developing a fantastic product. But on an even larger view, just the goodwill and uh, understanding that he's brought to the community in terms of what aquaculture is, what responsible aquaculture is, and um, how that can integrate into a community like Pine Island and truly be an asset. He's done fantastic work, and um, I'm so thrilled that that us locating on Pine Island has allowed me to get to know Robin, to get to know his project, um, but also all the foundational work that he has done to help aquaculture and to help people's view of aquaculture. Um, it, it certainly is uh, key to the development, further development of aquaculture in the area and at the state um as a whole. Um, there is a great network down here of growers doing lots of different and unique species and 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 different things, different systems. So being able to be just in this general area is a is a great location for discovering new synergies um, and possibilities for things like IMTA. You never know.
2: <laughs> it sure is nice to have friendly neighbors.
0: For sure. For sure. (laughs) My last
1: question for you is what's ahead for Pine Island for 2024? What are you most looking forward to?
0: So many things, Gene. It's going to be a busy year and, uh, but certainly an exciting one. Um, We're, in the the throes of design work right now, um, and hopefully being uh, at a a more settled point with it um, in in the next few months. Um, We're really honing in, I think on the last details um, of how we want things positioned and um, how the systems all integrate with one another into the larger flow of the building. So we're working diligently on that piece likewise um, getting production um, going at a consistent rate here um, and getting those first fish uh, source back as future breeders is a focal point and um, and really starting to do uh, the biological development work for the pine island site those are the two key pieces that are um, are super critical. Likewise, we um, are the recipient of 2023 Seafood Industry Climate Award um, that's offered through Acme Smoke Fish, TD Bank, and Builders Initiative, which we were super thrilled to be even considered, let alone in the company of the other winners, um, all of which are fantastic companies. And we are utilizing some of that award to focus specifically on the greater potential of the plant production side and honing in um, on what that larger scale production can do, um, both from a market perspective and a product development perspective. Um, So some really unique initiatives that um, will develop over the next year as well. So uh, lots of different things, lots of different focuses, but ultimately all leading to um, hopefully a, a sooner rather than later start of construction on the larger facility, which we are really looking forward to. Do you have target dates? We always have target dates, and the answer is always sooner rather than later.
1: <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, um, well, actually, one of the things that just came up came to mind is that I forgot to tell our listeners a little bit of a disclaimer that you're also a member of our editorial advisory board at Rastech, and she's a valued member, in my opinion, um, because she does a lot of work in raising awareness and education, not just for the public, but among and within our aquaculture industry so it's always a pleasure to have you and to sit down with you i always learn a lot so thank you very much megan for being part of our episode
0: thank you so much it's great to talk to both you and justin and um, as always to just welcome the opportunity for open dialogue in the sector it's how we all grow and, and grow successfully
2: thanks megan it's been a pleasure
0: thanks so much
1: well, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we, Justin and I did. Um, I think for me, for this episode, I really liked what Megan said um, near the beginning or the middle of the conversation where she said aquaculture begets aquaculture, because I really want to talk more with industry people about this Generosity of spirit and not holding too many chips close to the chest, kind of thing. And there's there's a lot of learnings and sharing knowledge to be had that will profit, you know, all parties. What do you think, Justin?
2: You know, Gene, I really enjoyed uh, the episode as as well, and and I agree with that. You know, you have areas where aquaculture uh, develops, and and once you start developing aquaculture in in an area. Uh, it's just a little bit easier each time to to start up the next aquaculture project and some of those support services start to develop and uh, you can really create uh, hubs I, I think of of aquaculture
1: yeah were you surprised about how many of different elements are already sort of underway for this project is that common I don't know
2: you know, it's uh, an important uh, thing that that you need is that secure access to your to your uh, broodstock or at least access to the eggs or juveniles. Uh, so that was really uh, positive to to hear about. Uh, you know, when I was reading the the media on Megan uh, joining the, the group or starting up uh, this uh, initiative, it, it wasn't clear on what stage they were at or. Or what they had in place and and what they didn't have in place and sort of what their their plan was so it was really great to have this conversation with megan and and get a really uh, good idea of, of just where they are in the project
1: how are you liking the podcast so far justin
2: <laughs> yeah it's really good um, as i mentioned uh try, you know trying to fill brian vinci's shoes which which uh you know is difficult uh, to do with uh you know such uh such an expert uh as, as brian and and uh, I'm really enjoying the the podcast, and I think that there's so many opportunities and uh, to have discussions with RAS farmers that are you know all over North America and and uh, around the world. It might be a companies that most people have never heard of, or species that people have never heard of. Uh, so I'm going to uh, really enjoy uh, digging into those and and hearing uh, hearing those stories.
1: Yeah, and I want to say a disclaimer that you know you have a storied um career yourself so your expertise is very much a great fit for this episode and i think there's listeners out there all of these listeners out there are will agree with me with saying we're happy to have you we're lucky to have you um so wrapping up this episode as always i want to remind our listeners that we have extra links to articles photos videos and other media related to this episode and all our episodes which are available on our website at rastechmagazine.com slash podcast that's r-a-s-t-e-c-h magazine slash podcast please consider sharing this episode with your network and on social media it truly helps us out follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a new episode And of course, thanks again to our sponsor, OxyGuard International. Secure. Grow. Evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.
2: Thanks, everybody.